Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Come to the Table, Part 3, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, recorded Sunday, May 23rd, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. We were looking at these different scenarios that have something loosely to do with food, circumstances, teachings that Jesus has. And uh, if you've been around here for a month or so, Dan described a disgusting dinner party where a pretend king had the head of John the Baptist removed, and it reminds us uh, primarily that the king of kings is far different from any worldly king that you can imagine. A couple of weeks ago, we heard about a meal where Jesus turned five loaves of bread and two fish into a banquet that fed thousands and thousands of people. In the miracle, what we learned, among other things, is that God can be trusted to provide for us. And then last week, Josh reminded us that what comes out of our hearts is what proves that we've been cleaned by God, not what we do in religious activity. That that's just, that's just activity, but what's, what emerges from within a person proves the cleansing that God's doing within that person. In my college days, I had a professor who was fond of saying, if it isn't hard, it's not really a test. Oh, we love that, let me tell you. He was a community college professor. I went to a Bible college, a James is in Norfolk, so there's a community college there, and then I went to uh, Nebraska Christian College, which was, at that time was located there. and. and uh, the community college, or excuse me, the Bible college wanted all of the first year preaching students to go take Max Peeler's speech class. And, and he had a reputation for being especially hard on the college students, the Christian college students. He liked to prod, he liked to push us a little bit, he liked to challenge us with statements that put us on the defensive. And some of my classes got very offended by that. And, and many of them, I'm sure, probably just scores of Christian college students over the years did speeches meant to somehow save the soul of Max Peeler, okay? So he learned a lot of counter-arguments. Now, I don't know if Max was an atheist or an agnostic or a Presbyterian or whatever, but I do know this, his testing us challenged us, and if we were willing, it made us better. Because if, if any college student was going to stick their neck out and try to save the heathen community college professor, you know, do one of those eight-minute speeches on God, the devil, heaven, hell, and punishment, you better be ready, because he's going to come back at you, and he should. Because you know what? If I can't defend myself in a classroom that's so benign as a, Christian, as, a, as a community college speech class, how in the world am I going to defend my faith in a real world that is not nearly as friendly about Jesus? The test. The test. She showed up. He tested her. Or was it the other way around? 
I want to talk to you about another encounter that Jesus had. This one is in the seventh chapter of Mark. And, and, and truthfully, I just want you to know this going into this, it's a harsh encounter. It's one where I would say most, if not all, of Jesus' Jewish male followers would have been shocked that she would even approach him, let alone that he would have any encounter with her. She and he are going to test each other. And Jesus is going to throw a few scraps of grace to this person. So let's jump in. It's Mark 7, 24. If you have your journal, your, your Bible, of course, your, your app, whatever you use, you can, you can follow on the screen too. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but it could not be hidden, as has been in the case now for many, many months. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. Now, key, key verse here, one that most of us would skip over. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. So he's in the Gentile region. Matthew says this woman is, she, his, Matthew says the term Canaanite. And if you know anything about the Bible and the Old Testament, you know the Canaanites and the people of Israel were mortal enemies, had been for centuries. She was not just a non-Jew. She was from the other side of the track, spiritually, racially, culturally, and, and oh, by the way, in that culture, it mattered, she was a woman. By calling this woman a Canaanite, the Jews there would have perceived her as a total outcast and unworthy of mercy from God. You need to know that understanding this story. Now, this, by the way, is an attitude that didn't just go away when the Old Testament ended and the New Testament began. As a matter of fact, if you read through the New Testament, you'll, you'll find that the church spent about 100 years working out the Jewish-Gentile issue. And it's all about grace. Who deserves it? So let's read on and see what happens. So this woman, she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So here's this Greek-speaking Gentile. She's been badgering Jesus, and, and she's not giving up. Verse 27, but Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Wow. <laughs> I mean, full disclosure, <laughs> been studying these words for about 40 years now. And it still kind of hits me in the face. I struggle with a Jesus who would even say something like that. I don't care where she's from. I don't care what her A Jesus who would say something seemingly so demeaning. Matthew says that when she first asked him to heal her daughter, he wouldn't even answer. So it's opposite of what I want Jesus to be like. And how, honestly, how I see Jesus. Because in virtually every other circumstance and scenario that he encounters, he shows respect to people. 
He doesn't seem to have any prejudice or any sexism in him or any elitist attitudes whatsoever. Why would he put her off? Why would he ignore her? Why use such a statement that seems so demeaning as to compare the children of Israel as the children of God and everyone else as dogs under the table? Even if it is a little puppy dog. I'll tell you why. Because if it isn't hard, it's not a test. Let's go on. This is a test. We are told that she first addressed him, son of David. Son of David is a Jewish term for Jewish Messiah. She was a Gentile, but she was talking to him from the standpoint of the Jewish nation. She's talking to what she believes to be a Jewish rabbi. So she talked to him like anyone might try to talk to a rabbi, even though in their culture a woman would not try to talk to a rabbi, especially a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman, would even have a conversation with a rabbi. So this, you have to understand, this is her approach. So then he tests her. He makes her think. He pushes her limits. And all of his Jewish buddies who were there and heard it liked it. Yo, Jesus, go, go, Jesus. You tell that woman, you tell her what's what. Go, Israel, go. Go, Israel, go. go. I made that up. But that's kind of the attitude that his, his compadres would have had toward this. Here's this desperate woman found herself on the defense after just simply saying, please help us. And, and she comes up with one of the only questions, maybe the only one ever asked of Jesus, that seems to put him truly on the defensive. And here's what she says. She answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table, eat from the children's crumbs. It's like a, like a, you know, a bannering of questioning to throw at him. She's smart. I mean, she's crafty. I mean, she says, I think a crumb will do it. That's all I'm asking for. I don't care what you call me. Look what happens. Then he said to her, for this saying... Go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And then Matthew says that he said, because great is your faith. Okay, now, there's a whole lot of directions we could go with the story, but I believe the key to understanding the relationship between Jesus and this desperate woman is great faith is always accompanied by humble dependence on God. Faith always comes to the point of humility. So if you, you know this about Jesus already. If you've been walking in, in this book with us, you know that he constantly, constantly set aside the laws of religion, the stereotypes that people brought into, you know, into relationships, the prejudice that people were living in in that day, the diversionary tactics that people use not to love other people. Jesus broke barrier after barrier to love us. And so 
the people in his kingdom, that would be any of us who claim to be Christian, that means that's how we need to live too. And if my religion is keeping me from having love and compassion for any person, that's not true Christianity. So Jesus sets a table that welcomes everyone who will come in faith and by humility. So let's break this down. Let's see how it works. Let's see how Jesus' open table policy works. First of all, Jesus went to the places that others would never go to help people who people in his tribe would never help. I wish we had time to read this story from the vantage point of Matthew, one of the other New Testament uh, gospel writers. You have time this week. Take the time. It's good. Matthew chapter 15. It gives you more details. But I do want to summarize what happens here because I think you have to have it in order to get the context of this. She had been trailing him for a while. She had been badgering him for some time. She went through all kinds of roadblocks to to get to his feet. She went through the cultural roadblock of being a Gentile Canaanite woman. She went through the religious roadblock of not being Jewish. She went through the national roadblock of being a Syrophoenician Canaanite. She had the shame on her of a family out of control with a daughter that was controlled by demonic forces. That's a roadblock. God starts the path of saving the whole world through the Jews. They all knew this. Even the Gentiles knew this, that God favored the Jews, and at least that was the belief of the Jewish people. And so they were the people of the promise. Everyone else was out. Jesus knew that when he came, he had to start there because he was a Jewish male. And that God's purpose was to begin with the nation of Israel, with the idea that the grace of God would move out to the Gentile world. And so she's taking a risk, believing that a Jewish rabbi would help a Gentile woman. Gentile women were forbidden to talk to rabbis. And and he was aware that his time had not yet come to expand the message to the Gentiles. That would come after the resurrection. So he uses an illustration that, quite frankly, it's hard not to find demeaning. And, 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 and it's, it's seemingly insensitive. It certainly would be politically incorrect to, to use this kind of language today. It's certainly not any kind of woke type thing that you could actually imagine even being that way. It is a real send him straight to sensitivity training double whammy where he says, let the children be filled first. He's talking about Israel. For it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Wow. I mean, at least he says the little dogs, the the little puppies. I mean, I guess that's something. I... I don't know if you like Jesus' tone here. I, I, mean, I don't know if I like this kind of Jesus. Like, what in the world? Look, you have to understand, it, it's taken me time to grasp this. He's a rabbi who's breaking all the barriers. 
In his day, he's doing what no other rabbi would even consider doing. He's doing what every Jewish person witnessing this, was, witnessing this whole experience would consider heresy. He's having a conversation with a whining Gentile Canaanite who has demons controlling her child. And no rabbi in the world except him would even have that conversation. Please understand this. But let me ask you, because if you don't ask this question today, quite frankly, this message will mean nothing to you. How willing are you to step toward the ones who in your culture, in your, from your upbringing, who from your tribe and your clique might be considered unworthy of God's mercy? below your status. Because if truly, if you're going to be a go and be person and if we're going to be a go and be church, we have to set aside maybe a lifetime, maybe even several decades and even centuries of stereotypes that will keep us from loving people as God loves them. And I will tell you that it took a while for Jesus' first followers to learn these lessons. It was situations like this that taught them. Wherever Jesus goes, the church goes there. Wherever the church goes, Jesus goes with them. And, and there is no person unworthy of the grace of God. Now here's the second thing we learn here. She understands, this woman, the kind of humility it takes for a person to approach God for help. Matthew says she's the first person that we know of that called, her, called Jesus Lord. The first time we know of it that, that Jesus is recognized with the term Lord, which required incredible humility. That she would come and beg and plead and not give up that persistence. That required incredible perseverance and humility. That she would not bristle and become horribly defensive over what was told you know, to her about the, you know, the, you know, the, the crumbs of the children and the crumbs to the, to the little puppy dogs. I mean, if you think that's demeaning, check yourself. I do not for one millisecond think that God considers you, her, or anyone else at the level of a dog, even if it's a cute little puppy. I don't. I don't think that that's how God sees it. Aww. But no one can approach the throne of God without humility, without faith. And Jesus knew her heart, and he was willing for the test to occur. And I think when we look at her, for centuries on centuries afterwards in this story, what we get to see is the kind of heart that God responds to. A person who will stop defending yourself and say, God, just give me a crumb. That's all I'm asking for. Just give me a crumb. Just give me some scraps. Now, we've been talking about bread throughout this whole series. Bread that was broken for 5,000 plus. And, and you know what? When that happened, the disciples got the miracle. They didn't understand the meaning of it. We see that all the way through this. You know, where, where Jesus is saying, look, I'm the bread of life. And they're saying, hey, how about another miracle? 
The woman merely wants a crumb. She gets bread, but you know what? It comes from her brokenness. Jesus broke the loaves, but it was her that got broken to approach Jesus. And here's a third thing. An encounter with Jesus always leads, always, to either personal offense or unquestioning obedience. Like it's, it's, it's an either or, friend. It's not, it's not an and. This book, this Matthew, this Mark, this, this gospel will always lead me to either being offended by him or wanting me to transform because of him, to be ready to obey him. And friends, I will say this, and I think you know this, in our world, in our community, in, in some of the chairs in this room today, there are people who just live by the motto, you can't tell me how to live my life. And you know what? We do this with, with everything. We say, you can't tell me who or how to worship. You can't tell me how to treat my body, how to live out sexual fantasies, and how to do, how to do sex in the, in the context of the Bible or in the context of the world. You can't tell me how to use my money, how to spend my money, how, how to distribute my money. You are offending me. And you know what? We can say that to a government that's not perfect, far from. We can say that to, uh, to people who are judgmental and just want us to do things that they never do for themselves or by themselves. We can have that attitude even towards churches and church leaders if, because they're flawed too, right? Towards parents, toward our employers. But oftentimes, below the surface, it's not about those people as much as it's about me looking at God and saying, you're not going to tell me how to do things either. Lord or Lord. Offended or obedient. See, when it comes to human laws and flawed parents and imperfect church leaders, there's room for debate. But you know, when it comes to Jesus, it's either in or out. And we're going to see this next week, by the way. Jesus is looking for a heart a heart that says, I'm not before you because I'm good. I'm here because you're God. She said, I'm not here, this is my paraphrase, I'm not here because I'm worthy. I'm here because you're God. You're Lord. You are true. And I believe this. If you'll give me a crumb... That'll be enough. When will you say that to him? When will you finally admit that to have a scrap from the table of his mercy is better than anything the banquet of the world could ever lay out before you? And when you get to the point of saying, God, here I am, I am good, you get from the point of saying, here I am, I am good, to here I am, you are God, it changes everything. 
Faith is trusting that God is always working for our good and for the good of all, even when we aren't getting the answers we want or seeing the results that make sense to us. And by the way, we make our appeal to a God who leads us down a path of trust and humility himself. Jesus is not the kind of leader who says, live your lives this way on some ivory tower where he could never pull it off himself. Jesus is the leader who experiences what seemingly is a God who won't listen to him, who won't hear his pleas. You, you see it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays right before he goes to the cross, Lord, let this cup pass before me. God, let this and, and, and there's silence, it's crickets. And then you see it on the cross where, where he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? And again, there's no answer. Yet despite the perceived silence of God, we see how powerfully he's at work in the death of Jesus. That he was active in ways that were hidden from his perception, bringing about the forgiveness and reconciliation, the reconciliation of of the people of the world, including the Gentiles. In this encounter, we see humble, bold faith and how it changes things. And, and there's a persistence about this woman that you can't deny, this tenaciousness of not giving up. To the early Christian community that would arise from the post-resurrection, this would be one of the stories they would tell to talk about reconciliation and how God came not just for the people of Israel, but for the whole world, and how Jesus' actions on the cross were meant for everyone. She would become a hero of the church, just as she is a hero in our church today, because she didn't give up, because she humbly came before the Lord. You know, we commune here weekly, and uh, this is symbolically really important. It's representative of something that Jesus wanted us to understand about his mission where he came, God in the flesh came, his body broken, his blood shed to reconcile us to God. And in this uh, series that we've been experiencing, we've seen a lot about the breaking, you know, the breaking of bread. Here we see a person who is broken by tests that are put before her. And I feel like this can be a moment in our experience weekly where God once again has a chance to break us a little. Just as we're celebrating that he was willing to go to the degree he did to save us, in the Lord's Supper, we're also asking the question, Lord, am I obediently being, allowing myself to be broken to follow you? I know that's a hard concept, but it goes back for centuries. And it's a reminder that everyone has a place at the table of Christ. Everyone who will have faith and who will be humble. Lord, as we commune today, wake up in our hearts some humility. Lord, instead of trying to define you like we often like to do, what if today we just simply accepted who you are? And you're a God who loves fiercely, but one who will not be mocked. And what you ask of us, uh, it is demanding. It starts with faith, 
but it also includes obedience and humility. And so, Lord, today in this moment, we humbly come before your throne in gratitude for what you've done and in hope that we can lay our lives before you in a manner that's humble and obedient. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, really the predominant uh, thread throughout this encounter that Jesus had was this idea of obstacles that get thrown up, you know, and, and I think that uh, if you're like me, you know that there's things in your head and there's things in your heart that sometimes keep you from doing the right thing with God. And, um, and you know, you, you get to these scenarios where you're saying, well, you know, I, I, would, I would follow Jesus, but, and then you have all these things that come up, well, I'm just not good enough for God, or I've made so many mistakes in my past that how could he ever forgive me? Or, and I'm just not ready to commit to, to God because I know it's going to take more of me than I want to give. There's all kinds of things. You have ideas about other people in, in the church and, and the feeling that, well, you know, they're, they're certainly not godly. Why would I want to be a, you know, I'm just saying there's lots of reasons, lots of obstacles that we throw up to keep ourselves from doing the right thing. But I want you to see with this woman what it meant. Now, they're not small things, but they're simple. It meant that she trusted him. I believe in Jesus. I had faith in Jesus. And it meant that she would humble herself that she would take herself off the throne and she would submit to him whatever he said. And that's really what it comes down to. It's a decision to say, I trust God and I will be humble before him. And then he'll take it from there. And then we carry that out as the church in how we love other people. Our faith in him and our humility to follow him is what we offer the people in our world who we might deem unworthy. Because you know what? We are all beggars at the table and all we need is a scrap. And we got scraps to give out. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.